The Old Testament reading for the 19th Sunday after Pentecost is from Genesis chapter 32. The same night, Jacob arose and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his eleven children, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream, and everything else that he had. And Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, Let me go, for the day is broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, What is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, Please, tell me your name. But he said, Why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. This is the word of the Lord. Halloween sermon deploy. There's lots to be angry about. There's not even really a need to point to a Bible story for you to know that people are angry, they do things out of anger, and they hold anger for long periods of time. People get angry for lots of reasons, but it's usually because they don't get what they want, or at least what they think they want. But the thing about Jesus Christ and about the church is he, she, they never give you what you want, but rather what you need. The scriptures show us the drivel of our desires, what we want, but the glory of what we need. So let's talk Jacob. He's one of the big Old Testament patriarchs, and he was a terrible, angry man. His older brother Esau was born first, Obviously, it seems redundant, but it's important to point that out. He's born first, but his brother Jacob, literally coming out of the womb, grabs his ankle or his heel and tries to pull him back in. Why? Because he wants to steal the firstborn status. He wants to be the firstborn. Jacob does. And so that's where he gets his name. Jacob, in Hebrew it means to betray someone. 
to seize them by the heel, to go behind someone's back for your own interest. Would you name your son Jacob? Someone might actually be Jacob, name Jacob out there. Later in the prophets, they use the same Jacob word to mean uneven, crooked, a bumpy road, deceitful, sly. But Jacob doesn't stop there just grabbing his brother's ankle and trying to pull him back in and steal from the get-go. Next, his brother Esau is tricked by Jacob, and he sells his birthright for a bowl of soup. So he got what he wanted, right? Sometimes God gives you what you really want. He got the birthright stolen. And then Jacob steals his father's blessing for Esau, his firstborn blessing. He steals from Esau for himself. And so afraid of Esau's revenge, spurred on by his sinful mother, he flees. Jacob does. And now from here on out, Jacob, he's going to travel around the desert. He's going to get a bunch of wives, which is sinful. You should only have one wife. He's going to trick his uncle and then steal most of his goats from him. He's going to run away from his uncle. And this entire time, God is pressing on his heart, giving him a heavy conscience, saying, you need to go back and apologize to your brother. But Jacob is, he's too angry. He's too stubborn to make things right. He wants to keep on living in sin. Trapped in the prison of passive aggressiveness, as many of us are. He even makes an elaborate plan to avoid confronting his brother Esau and his uncle. He actually devises military strategy just in case. Because, you know, the thought, the feeling makes sense when you're trapped in sin. If all else fails, I'll just kill my brother, right? I'll just kill him, and that will make everything okay. These are the delusions that the sin of anger can trap us into. He wants to make Esau the problem by hating him. He wants to make Esau no longer a person worthy of life made in the image of God by depersoning him through hatred. Tell me if this sentence sounds familiar. Nothing's going right in my life because of that other person. It's all their fault. It's not my fault. It's not my brother's fault. It's not, or sorry, it's my brother's fault. It's not my fault. But before he can go back and face up with his brother, in the night, he's all alone. He's in the darkness, which is very fitting. He is in the darkness. Someone starts to wrestle with him. And he's really powerful and 
you know, maybe this guy's from God. He's, he's, he's overpowering me. Can't see him. It's kind of spooky. The temperature dropped. It smells different. He's not sweating. What's going on? And then he shows that he is the creator. He has control over creation, this random man that is wrestling me, because he pops his hip out of socket just by touching it. And so Jacob realizes this stranger has power. He's not like any man. And so he asks for a blessing. But instead, the man asks Jacob his name. What is your name? Keep in mind, remember, Hebrews are named according to their character. And so Jacob owns up. He confesses his sin simply by saying his name. Honestly, if you put yourself in the headspace, it's heartbreaking. He says, I am Jacob. I am Jacob. I am a liar. I'm a deceiver. I steal from my family. I don't honor my father and my mother. I burn with hatred against my own family, my friends. I'm, but I'm too afraid and I'm too small to look them in the eye and own up to it. Does this person sound familiar? Is this just Jacob who says this? No. This person is you. This person is me. This person is all people. Poor, sinful beings. Making ourselves enemy against not only other people and even our own good but the will of God, enemy with God himself, by following what we want and not what we need as revealed to us by God. You, me. It's not anyone else's fault but your own, but my own. I am responsible. You are responsible I am a sinner, you are a sinner. I need to, you need to repent and trust, have simple trust in the Lord Jesus Christ before we tell other people what they're doing wrong. No one else. Your own stubbornness, your own sinfulness is ruining your relationships with your family and your friends and with the body of Christ. Lord, have mercy on us. Christ, have mercy on us. Lord, have mercy on us. This is the devil's oldest, most reliable trick, convincing you that everyone else is doing things wrong and not you. It's everyone else's fault, not your own. You should be angry with that guy next door. You shouldn't befriend him and become his friend. It's why anger and hatred are first linked 
to the fifth commandment by Jesus. In his Sermon on the Mount, he says, You've heard it said, Thou shalt not murder. But truly, truly, I say to you, if you hate your brother in your heart, you have already killed him. If you can convince yourself that it's their fault, that it would be better if they just died, you have killed the other person. But are you willing to wrestle with God? Are you willing to wrestle with his word? Do you think you'll survive if you try to hate, if you try to kill the creator who created you? Are you willing to let him beat the garbage out of you? Not just as an idiom, but to actually beat out of you by wrestling, by striving with his word, all of that ideology out of you, all of those faulty wants, bad desires out of your soul, out of your heart, and leave you limping away, a changed, humbled, redeemed person. Is that what you're interested in? Is that what you're pursuing? The Holy One wrestling with Jacob, with you. So Jacob has confessed his sin. He's confessed his sinful nature simply by saying his name. The man, the Lord, Jesus Christ, says to Jacob, Your name will no longer be called Jacob or crooked or a liar, but your name is now Israel. For you have fought, striven, wrestled with God and with men and have prevailed. No longer are you a liar. No longer are you angry. No longer do you hate your mother and father, brother and neighbors. That's no longer your identity. It's no longer who you are. Now you're my chosen one. You are Israel. Though you'll still desire to sin, though you'll still wage war against the desires of the flesh, against the devil, against his demons in this world, that in maybe this modern day and only this place, attack you with thoughts, doubts, anger. Though you're sinful, you're also forgiven. He says, I am God. I created you. I've redeemed you. I've restored you. But never forget what I can do to people like you. He pops his hip out of joint. This is what happens when you confess your sin to Jesus. He changes your name from Susie, from Joe, from Paul, from sinner to Christian or Christina. You are no longer a sinner. You are a Christian. You are redeemed. You are saved. You're changed. New life lives in you. 
but to tie off our story about Jacob, now Israel. When he's done wrestling with God, a cold sweat runs down his neck and he says something mysterious. He says, I have seen God face to face and yet my life has been delivered. Halloween time. Catch this next sentence. The omniscient, all-powerful, terrifying, indescribable, pure good, the creator of all things, he's shifted his almighty gaze from something else, and he looks you in the eye. And instead of killing you, He forgives you. This is the terrifying grace of God. It's what happens before each divine service when we confess and receive forgiveness. It's what happens at communion. It's what happens in baptism. It's what happens when you open up the Bible and you read the word, when you listen to the word. The terrifying grace of God pours out into the world. It's what Jesus calls the kingdom of God, and it's why he says it's at hand. It's about to break into the world, Jesus says. I'm about to die on the cross, Jesus says. I'm about to rise again for you. Though you die, you will live. Though I die, I will live. If you believe in me, if you eat of my my flesh and drink of my blood, I will give you eternal life and raise you up on the last day. The terrifying grace of God. How do things tie off? What is the epilogue? Well, Jacob looks up. Now it's the sun has risen. And here comes Esau. He's here and he's with all his armies, his people that follow him, his entourage. Jacob says, I'm as good as dead. And so he tries to like, You know, when you get caught and you're like trying to be all humble and nice to the person you hate. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. He's bowing before him. Jacob is. My brother's going to kill me, isn't he? I didn't get to kill him first. That's what's going through Jacob's mind. But instead, Jesus, or sorry, Esau runs out to meet Jacob, literally gives him a hug And gives him a kiss. And that's terrifying mercy. Terrifying grace. What God is like. The man who should kill Jacob. He should righteously kill Jacob for everything that he's done to him and his family. Instead of killing him, forgives him. Jacob is so taken aback by his brother's response that he tells him, I have seen your face, which is like seeing the face of God. Seeing my older brother's face when he forgives me is like seeing the face of God. We know what that means. To see the face of God is to see terrifying mercy, to actually live forgiveness, to truly be forgiven, to truly confess your sins, to be forgiven by someone who should be disgusted 
with you. God seeks reconciliation. And this is what Jesus gives. He says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. He says, all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation that is in Christ. God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their sin against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. And he finishes by saying, I implore you on behalf of Jesus Christ, be reconciled to God. There's no way you can keep this relationship healthy with God when you hate other people. Being made new in Christ, being washed in the water of baptism, remembering that daily brings you into right relationship with God so that you're no longer trapped in those cycles of sin and hate and passive aggressiveness and anger. Even while we were still sinners, even while you were still a sinner, Christ died for you. And that's how God loves you. Not by avoiding the things that you did wrong or pretending they're not happening or pretending they never happened, but by seeing them, looking them in the eye, And forgiving them. When he's confronted with anger and hate, he forgives and gives mercy. Be like him. It's no longer you who live, but Christ who lives in you. In that newness, you can forgive. You can show mercy. Instead of anger, hatred, blame, gossip. The overflowing font of new life that is Christ in you daily remembers and says, I'm sorry I did that. I'm sorry I said that. I said that because I hurt. Please forgive me. Jesus brings peace in our lives, not by some concept that's hard to understand or in some weird way that's like a feeling you feel all of a sudden if you focus hard enough no Jesus brings peace in your life not through avoidance or white lies or dismissing but by reconciling you with the people around you and with God through the hard work of forgiveness through the hard work of confessing and being forgiven It might look weak to our world, but it's the only way you'll see that terrifying face of mercy, the face of God. Because the face on the person forgiving you, the words that are forgiving you, are the same terrifying face and words of Jesus Christ, who has forgiven you because of what he's done for you on the cross. And so you live, sinner, saint, angry, but fully forgiven, awaiting Christ's return, seeking peace to the best of your ability. It's hard, but it's the life of a Christian. 
It's a lonely, less gratifying in the short-term road, but it's the only one that saves. It's the way. It's the truth. It's the life. It's Jesus Christ. You are no longer an angry person. You are now a baptized co-worker with Jesus Christ.